missing middle housing are house scale buildings that just happen to have multiple units inside them. It's like the duplex or the fourplex or the cottage core or the mansion apartment. And these housing types um, exist in every neighborhood built prior to the 1940s, um, often next to single family homes. No one ever notices because the, the, the point here is that because you get you put more units in a building doesn't mean a building's getting larger and larger. It's that there's just a thoughtful design of a housing type where it looks like a house from the street, but it just happens to have two, three, or four units in it. And you might walk by it and never even notice that it wasn't a single family home. And you know, the middle part of that, first and foremost, is the scale. And I think a lot of times in the conversation about missing middle housing, it just immediately jumps to middle income mm -hmm. housing. And we say, yes, it's important. And, but first and foremost, we need it to be a range of housing types at a certain scale, that house mm -hmm. scale. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 59 of the Place Making Podcast. I can't wait to share this next conversation with all of you here today. Now, today on the show, I have a very special guest. I have Dan Paralek, founder of Optipus Design. Dan inspired a new movement for housing choice back in 2010 when he coined the term missing middle housing. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with this word, but it's a transformative concept that highlights a time-proven and beloved way to provide more housing, more housing choices, sustainable, walkable places. Now, Opticus Design is driving a radical paradigm shift, urging cities, elected officials, urban planners, architects, and builders to fundamentally rethink the way they design, locate, regulate, and develop homes. Americans want and need more diverse housing choices in walkable neighborhoods, homes that are attainable, sustainable, and of course, beautifully designed. Now in this episode, we look at the definition of missing middle housing and how it fits into various neighborhoods and schemes. The keys to success that he's found in this type of development and the biggest barriers for achieving true missing middle housing options. There's tons of great information in this episode and I greatly appreciate Dan for taking the time out of his extremely busy schedule to discuss this topic creating walkable urban communities through missing middle housing. As always, if you have enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry promise there'll be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me, Matt. Glad to have you on the show. You're, uh, you're, you're quite the celebrity in the, uh, the development, real estate development rings with your introduction of missing middle housing and what you're doing with Opticus. I'd, I'd like to kind of just start off here by getting to learn a little bit more about you and where you started out. And, and then we'll, we'll kind of transition that to 
Opticos and, and uh, miss, missing middle housing, and, and we'll just go from there. Sure. Well, uh, just a little brief. I, um, I'm trained as an architect. I have an under, undergraduate degree in architecture from Notre Dame, and I, I practiced architecture in New York City for a number of years before deciding that I really wanted to work at the, the block, the neighborhood, and even the sort of city and regional scale. So I um, moved out to Berkeley to, to go to UC Berkeley's Master of Urban Design program, and it was just a, a perfect fit for indoctrinating me into um, the world of urban design and how to get projects implemented and, and really just good, how to get good urbanism to happen and how to remove those barriers. And so, um, actually upon uh, my, my graduate thesis, uh, won a design competition called Housing the Next 10 Million, um, uh, which was ways that the California Central Valley could grow thoughtfully um, and accommodate the growth without compromising its character and the, the agricultural economy. And so that, that, that launched uh, Opticos, uh, uh, just just a little over 20 years ago now wow. we had a 20th anniversary cel well celebration we didn't really celebrate much last year due to COVID yeah. <laughs> but, but we we've we've re reached the 20 year threshold last year congratulations yeah and and one of the other reasons I started the company is because I did want to work on both architecture scale building scale projects as well as uh, those those that neighborhood and city scale that I mentioned earlier and there was really no opportunity to do that even here in the bay area and so uh, i decided i was just gonna i was just gonna do it with my own company awesome yeah awesome i've got several questions from just that <laughs> that yeah. portion but uh what kind of endeared you into the whole urbanism and and um and and this housing opportunity at the more of the local level what what kind of drew you to that you know, um, I think, uh, you know, at, I started reflecting back upon this when I started doing a lot of interviews. Um, I, I introduced this concept of missing middle housing almost 10 years ago now. And so as I was reflecting upon sort of how people were asking, well, how did, you know, how did this idea come about? We've actually been integrating these missing middle types in our architecture and our planning practice since the beginning of Opticos. It's almost 20. We wrote a, we created a, a, a master plan and wrote our first form-based code in 2001 that had the missing middle types embedded in it. Um, and it was for uh, a plan called Revision Isla Vista, which is in Santa, is a community in Santa Barbara County where uh, UC Santa, adjacent to UC Santa Barbara. And um, I, I tell the story actually in the introduction of my book about how, how we needed to use the, the the conversation about these missing middle types to shift the conversation away from the the scary D word, the density word that the the community was really caught up caught up in and couldn't get beyond. Um, so, so in my my great grandmother lived in a duplex in the small town in Nebraska that I grew up in a block and a half from Main Street, and it was everything she needed. And, um, you know, I've lived in places like Chicago, um, New York, I lived in Brooklyn, um, and now here in Berkeley, you know, just lived in a lot of places that have these missing middle types just as a core part of the, the choices that they deliver and um, have, have just been thinking about it for a very long time, both personally and professionally. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you yeah, if you had some experience living in these communities and it just kind of, and then yeah. see, hearing about your grandmother. And that is one thing we'll get into, you know, the, the uh, ab- ability to walk places that you need to go. Um, yeah. Especially when, when driving is not an option anymore. Yeah, you know, when we def- when I first defined missing middle housing for a smart growth network publication, it's where we created the diagram as well. Um, uh, a, a part of this was, uh, you know, one of the primary characteristics is that these types are located in a walkable urban context, right? Mm-hmm. Is is because that's where they succeed or they're most successful. That's where they deliver the choice. And that's where a lot of people want to be where they can't afford it. If it's only single family homes that are being delivered. And so that that's really important. And, you know, jumping to Opticos a little bit more. um, I just want to like, I think one of the really important um, characteristics or aspects of Opticos is that we are a mission driven company. We are a for-profit, but mission driven company. And, uh, we became a founding B corporation, I think in 2007, so almost 14 years ago, where we really made a strong commitment as a business to a triple bottom line where we're thinking about environmental, social, and fiscal responsibility. And, and that commitment really drives all of our business decisions, ranging from the structure and hierarchy of our company, profit sharing, to the types of projects we, we focus focus on. And um, we really are in a fortunate position where we get to select projects that will enable us to utilize our expertise in missing middle, as well as walkable urbanism. And we have two different types of clients, sort of back to that point of wanting to work at the architecture and the, the sort of neighborhood city regional scale is we have public sector clients, cities and counties, where all the projects, even starting 20 years ago, were always focused on delivering housing choices and walkable urbanism. Now, 20 years ago, getting people to wrap their heads around, wow, there's there's a demand for this. And mm-hmm. even, even the small town needs to be thinking about this was hard. But our projects ha- in the public sector have ranged in scale from you know, a downtown plan or a neighborhood plan or a transit-oriented development plan around a station to uh, citywide plans like our Memphis 3.0 plan um, or uh, the general plan for Kauai County. And um, the, a lot of that um, that work over the last five years has, has included what we call missing middle scans and deep dives where we've created this methodology based on our expertise to identify the barriers in policy planning and zoning, and then give really specific recommendations of how cities can remove those barriers in places like, you know, towns that are exploding like Greenville, South Carolina, or Greensboro, North Carolina, or San Jose, California, have where we've done that kind of work. And then in the private sector, right, our work is includes both architecture and site and master planning and and I think we we only work on projects that really are going to push the development industry um, to to deliver the type of choices and innovation that we feel is absolutely in demand and needed and in, in, in markets really across the country. And you know, it ranges from cul-de-sac, uh, the 16-acre car-free community, which is now under construction in Tempe, which will be the largest car-free community to 
um, Prairie Queen, our bungalows on the lake, which is uh, our 40 acre missing middle neighborhood that has about 20 acres um, complete now. And it's been a huge success for our client and, and the residents that live in it really love the neighborhood. Uh, our Muse homes, um, right? We've done Cottage Court here in Healdsburg, California called River House. And, you know, working in smaller towns all across the country, like a Florence, Alabama or Kalispell, Montana. So we're really just, um, we, we want to find the right opportunities to like develop a model and to pr prove the concept that missing middle is viable. It's in demand. And we, we have a lot of fun doing it. And I think the next frontier is really, um, thinking about how modular can plug into those and inform those projects. And we've been doing some work with a modular company called Fading West out of Buena Vista, Colorado. And I'm really excited about that partnership and, and what that can evolve into and, and deliver in terms of attainability um, in, in, in walkable communities. Wow. You guys are busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, ha we're having fun. So, and we're not, a, we're not a big company. We're, just a little over 20 people. So oh, wow. a lot of people feel, look, look at our work and think that we're a really big company, but we're actually quite small and we've, we've stayed fairly small on purpose just so that we can um, retain, you know, the, the level of quality that's part of our brand and just be thoughtful about all of our projects, but also be really selective about what we work on because mm -hmm. everything we work on needs to reinforce our, our triple bottom line, as well as our just real drive and to, 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 you know, change, change way how housing is built, the way neighborhoods are built. So. Awesome. Yep. Well, before we, we transition a little bit. Yep. What's the story behind Opticus? What's, where did the name come from? Yes. So um, for about the first year of my company, we were called Envision Design and um, uh, for various, for obvious reasons. Um, but what we discovered is a couple of things is that it was a little bit too generic and, and people were having a hard time finding us. And, and actually there was another company nearby that a package of ours actually got sent to so we were, as, as we we're searching for names. Um, you know, it's really hard number one to find something that, um, represents this full breadth of work that we were doing and wanted to be doing and the impact and, and also just simple things like, can you, can you get the URL? <laughs> you know? And it's so, things, but it's yeah. Things, yes. So, um, you know, there's this term that Vitruvius uses in his architectural treaties that he uses the term logos opticos. Mm. And what that means is it, it represents um, visual, visual harmony through thoughtful composition and so what we thought is, is um, you know, whether you're somebody without any training or an, or an architect or a developer or planner, if you put somebody in a really good public space, they know that it just, they know that it feels good. Mm -hmm. um, they may not know what about that space feels good, but it just, there's something about the space that makes them want to be there. And you can say the same about well-designed buildings, right? That you can look at a building and you may not know exactly why that building is singing to you, but it just feels really good proportions, you know? And so that, um, that was the premise So that logos opticos, we just shortened it. And that's the premise of the work because we do feel that, you know, the types of places we're creating and buildings creating should 
really provide that sort of harmony and just just innate sense of comfort and um, uh, to to people who are experiencing those spaces in those buildings. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, and now let's let's kind of transition that into uh, more of like you said you you coined missing middle uh, ten years ago. Yep. Um, could you, in a nutshell, maybe in one to two sentence, describe what missing middle is for for those who for <laughs> may have been living under a rock for a while and, and yeah. don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, I I joke that if 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 we had been paid a dollar for every time our missing little diagram were used, I think I could have retired. <laughs> um, but but it's that's why we we made it we left it shareware. We wanted people to be using it. We wanted it to inform the the housing conversation in a way. Give give communities, community members, architects, developers, planners a tool to effectively communicate about this the range of housing choices that are really needed and. The definition most simply is um, missing middle housing are house scale buildings that just happen to have multiple units inside them. It's like the duplex or the fourplex or the cottage core or the mansion apartment. And these housing types um, exist in every neighborhood built prior to the 1940s, um, often next to single family homes. No one ever notices because the, the, the point here is that because you get you put more units in a building doesn't mean a building's getting larger and larger. It's that mm. there's just a thoughtful design of a housing type where it looks like a house from the street, but it just happens to have two, three, or four units in it. And you might walk by it and never even notice that it wasn't a single family home. And you know, the middle part of that, first and foremost, is the scale. And I think a lot of times in the conversation about missing middle housing, it just immediately jumps to middle income mm -hmm. housing. And we say, yes, it's important. And, but first and foremost, we need it to be a range of housing types at a certain scale, that house mm -hmm. scale. And, and secondarily, yes, historically, um, these types have delivered attainability and attainable choices in desirable neighborhoods for middle income households. And to the point where, um, when I was doing research for uh, a missing middle presentation at the Chicago Humanities Festival, I came across, across this great article about the two flats and three flats in Chicago, which make up something like 26% of the residential fabric. And they called them the working man's palace. And I thought that <laughs> was a really excellent uh, title. And, um, you know, why do we call them missing? If you look at the, the data and we dove into that a little bit when um, we were doing the research for my book and really the the data shows that you know less than less than 10 percent housing i think you could even say less than five percent of housing built in the last decade um, has been missing this missing middle housing scale and um, really most cities have zoned just as a starting point of why most cities have zoned like 80 to 90 percent of the geographic um, areas of their cities for single family only. So it's, it hasn't, they haven't had the ability to, you know, deliver the missing middle. Yeah, you kind of beat me to it. So Sorry. I was going to ask you, you know, what, what are the barriers? And, and a lot of us know this um, often that we, we work on these projects and, and those not even in the industry realize yeah. that, that single family um, 
often has zoning has restrictions that, that don't allow this type of housing. Um, and, and so zoning is obviously a, a big part of why, you know, we, we haven't seen more, um, but are there other barriers to, to entry essentially for those? Absolutely. Unfortunately, there are. Uh, I wrote an entire chapter on barriers in my book. It was the mm-hmm. first time I, you know, I've been talking for years generally about the barriers and actually got a chance to sit down and do a little bit of a deep dive and research some more on and clearly identify these barriers. But, you know, the, the reason Opticos does zoning work and mostly form-based coding, because we feel we've found that that is absolutely the best tool to enable and deliver missing middle is because that's you kind of you kind of need to remove that very basic barrier before any of these other barriers even make sense mm-hmm. um, to to address. But at the same time, you can't just assume you're going to remove the zoning barrier and then all of a sudden, you know, missing middle is going to show up on every corner. Uh, we wish so. There's a, unfortunately a long list, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of zoning because the other thing that I get a little bit frustrated by is like there's often this very general discussion. You know, even now at the federal level is zoning's in the way, you know, zoning's a barrier, but it rarely gets down to actually identifying like, well, what is it about zoning that's a problem? Because I don't believe we should just completely get rid of zoning, um, but I think we can do a, we, we need a new operating system, but other, you know, parking requirements, you know, that you might consider that part of zoning, but a, a huge barrier um, I, I tell cities like just simply remove par- off-street parking requirements for these, especially these neighbor pre-1940s neighborhoods, and you you may just start to in, uh, enable some of these types. Building codes, mm-hmm. right? Once you re- reach that three-unit threshold, you go from a residential building code to a commercial building code and right. the IBC, the International Building Code, and so it just starts adding a little bit more cost. Um, and uh, a really uh, important threshold, actually, just earlier this week, the city of Memphis, the first city to do this, and I think I'm hoping every city across the country will do this, they approved unanimously an amendment to their local building code uh, based on the citywide work we did on the comprehensive plan and missing middle being a core part of that, we identified the building code as a barrier, mm-hmm. and they adopted an amendment to their building code that allows up to six units under the residential building code. Oh, wow. And so I want to spread the word about that because it's a milestone for missing middle and sort of removing these barriers. Um, Financing, you know, often is, is a bit tricky and especially in smaller to medium sized towns where there's no comparables that you can point out, point Mm -hmm. at a bank for like just assurance that this is a good idea. And they, you know, they don't, they sort of are okay with the risk that might be inherent in it. But, you know, luckily more and more, we're seeing uh, good relationships at small local banks work to sort of enable small developers get the financing. And then um, condo liability is a tremendous barrier, especially for for sale missing middle types and especially in a number of states like California and, and Washington, and I think Colorado, like it, it, there's too much risk inherent in the stacking of any units that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can absorb that risk if you're doing a 250 unit project, but if you're doing like a, a four unit or an eight unit, even a 20 unit project, it doesn't make sense. And, um, you know, the last is just the, the lack of an industry 
like we have the single family building industry and the multifamily building industry and there's there it, the industry to deliver missing middle is is missing and it will be until we remove some more of these barriers right. um right. unfortunately yeah now i mean that makes complete sense um, yep. i i've been to a kind of a missing middle kind of learning session there in fort worth uh mm-hmm. it was in the near south side it's a they said it they kind of created their own form-based code Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it, it was exciting to see how they were trying to, you know, break down the barriers and make it a little more possible for, for those that are interested in, in trying to create this type of, of housing opportunity. I, I do want to transition that a little bit into somebody that maybe is, you know, listening or, or has seen some of these presentations in the past that is excited, wants to, wants to jump in and wants to develop their own type of, of housing like this, what, what kind of advice would you give somebody just trying to start out and, and you know, start to try to chip away at, at some of this missing middle housing? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, I think find a network of other people that are either doing this type of work or interested in ex- in exploring doing this type of work, um, and you know, this I don't want this to sell sound too self promoting, but I think reading my book has been really helpful to a lot of um, even even folks who are existing developers that are wanting to deliver missing middle and just aren't quite sure. Just become familiar mm-hmm. with the terminology. The range of project types that have been successfully completed in both for sale and renter, and what sort of opportunities um, are other developers, small small developers, I guess, and larger developers finding, but mostly small. And I think part of the message is like in a lot of markets, um, we see that the the best first step is you know buying and renovating historic missing middle building types. Mm-hmm. And even our client for our, our Prairie Queen neighborhood started renovating um, mis- historic missing middle building types in Midtown Omaha and mm-hmm. sort of built up a portfolio of several hundred units and wow. of, of missing middle, you know, a multiplex at a time within a 10 minute walk. And um, sort of he built the skill set and sort of knowledge and understanding of the local market and sort of went on to, to bigger projects, including Prairie Queen. Um, start start a local group of you know it could be realtors, bankers, builders, planners, maybe even city council members. Um, you know, have discussions about it, do walking tours, um, have book club conversations about you know any book related to walkable urbanism and and missing middle. Um, you know, Jim Hyde. Uh, if you don't know his work, uh, he just published a book called Building Small. Mm-hmm. Um, through ULI, which is a great resource as well. And he does a small development meetup uh, through ULI that actually I attended last week. It was here in Northern California. And the Incremental Development Alliance uh, does similar work through the Congress for New Urbanism. So I think part of that's just find like-minded people that you can support each other and brainstorm and share lessons learned, I think is 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 most important. And um you know, I'm finding that 
you know, if you can find the right opportunities, there's, there's good support out there and just a lot of really good people who are willing to share their experiences and advice um, to, to, to enable more people to build missing middle successfully starting, starting at the small scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. It's just, yeah, maybe, maybe start out a little smaller and, and, yeah. and work. Buy, buy a duplex mm-hmm. or buy a, buy a lot with a house at the front and a ADU in the back, you know, or, or the garage or, or a house with a detached garage where you're allowed to convert the garage into an ADU, you know, just start small and, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of learn, learn your lessons at a smaller scale. It's always better to make mistakes at that small scale. Right. Definitely when starting out too. Yep. Has there been any developments that you've seen that have just done this incredibly perfectly as, as far as like, have you seen any that have really, uh, done the, the missing middle well? Um, and, and you know, you talked about uh, your, your development there in Tempe. And and that's kind of a, that's a, that's kind of a wild card that, that doesn't come up too often, but are there any other larger developments that have tried to try to incorporate this type of, uh, mixed or missing middle into their developments? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the cul-de-sac in Tempe is definitely sort of at an extreme in terms of progressive and innovative. And I would love for every one of our clients to be asking for a car-free community, but we're not quite there yet. Maybe, maybe after cul-de-sacs a little bit further along, but um, a a couple of things is um, many of the early new urbanist neighborhoods like a Kentlands um, project, like, integrated Habersham in Beaufort County, South Carolina, um, or even Daybreak in Salt Lake City, integrated a pretty nice range of missing middle housing. It, it was mostly single family detached. So it's it's definitely worth looking at those because they've been around for, for quite some time. Um, but, uh, you know, Daybreak in particular is a really interesting example. And that's where our Muse Homes project got built within. Um, And it's been so successful that it's really, and the values have gone up so much that it's really, they're needing to get more innovative about smaller footprint, more compact. Um, I'll use the D word, higher density. I don't like it, but higher yield um, housing type. So it's a really interesting case study and how it's evolving and they're now shifting a little bit to more of their downtown area. So it's going to be interesting to see that. So I think those are interesting. Um, you know, the, I, I, when I was pick, trying to pick case studies for my book, there's an entire chapter of private sector developer driven case studies. I try to pick a really broad range because I didn't want anybody to think, well, there's only one way or one Mm -hmm. scale or one type of developer doing this range of projects because, so I picked, you know, starting with, you know, a planner architect colleague of mine, Garland Woodsong, you know, deciding he was going to buy a single family home in Portland and convert it into a, one into a triplex and one into a fourplex. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the lesson learned with that, that case study was, he, he did a great job. He's very passionate about it, but like his returns were pretty minimal, like mm-hmm. in the end, because there were just so many 
barriers and added costs and just complexities of, of rent, you know, converting a, a home mm-hmm. that it's doable, but you just have to be really thoughtful about it. And then, you know, it, 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 it includes, you know, pocket neighborhoods, projects like cul-de-sac and, and Prairie Queen, but, you know, um, the, the other project that I really like is the cottages on the green project. That's a case study in there in uh, Greenwich, Rhode Island, um, done by our colleagues at Union Studio Architecture and Community Design. And it's just a really great example of, you know, small town, near downtown, vacant. Uh, how big is the lot? I think it was like just under, uh, just under an acre and, um, and 15 units. So, and it's, it's all one story, really small footprint cottages. So I think that, um, Unfortunately, there's there's not like one place that you can go visit to see yeah. a lot of really good missing middle because it's usually just kind of sprinkled around in terms of smaller scale. Um, so it's just you kind of have to just pick and choose. And, um, you know, I'm excited about the success of a project like Prairie Queen, which is 40 acres. We, we, we didn't really assume when we were first. Um, you know, branding this idea and creating this concept that, that we would be working at that big of a scale. We thought it'd be more Mm -hmm. sort of incremental sort of lot by lot infill. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to work at that scale and prove that, that it can compete with other, actually it's outperforming class A multifamily projects in the Omaha Metro. And then, sorry, on the other side, there's a place like a South Bend, Indiana, which um, we did some great work with uh, the city of South Bend. And we were looking at downtown near Northwest neighborhood, which was in a, had been in a state of disinvestment for 40 plus years, a lot of vacant lots, um, other houses ready to fall over. But the city um, had this idea of, well, what if we remove the single family zoning and enable missing middle? Will it, will it, encourage private sector investment in these neighborhoods. And so we, we created a pellet of missing middle types. They, we ran poor pro forma analysis on it. Uh, actually, Incremental Development Alliance did that work. And it proved that the missing middle types were viable. They were feasible. And so the city actually has already changed their zoning to allow that private sector investment. And it'll, it'll have a tremendous impact on that kind of neighborhood. So it's, there, there's a really nice range of of ways these types are being applied um, in, in different high value markets and low value markets um, across the country. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, it's like you said, it's tough to nail down just one, one way to develop these type of, of projects because it, it can happen at a single lot level to all the way up to 40 acres or more, you know, eventually potentially what kind of financing do you typically see i know we we talked about that as being a barrier and there's obviously different ways that you can you can attack this i mean you could look at condo style or the apartment style if we're looking at like more of the single lot uh level but are there any uh certain financing uh, mechanisms as you've seen is, is more popular for those looking, maybe we'll just kind of look at a single lot level, you know, somebody that, that's looking yes. at, uh, at that scale, I guess, 
and say. Yeah, it's, I mean, what a lot of people don't understand is that you can use a conventional Freddie Mac uh, mortgage to build up to four units. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think it's, oh, that's just a mechanism to, uh, to buy um, single family homes, but to get a mortgage for a single family home, but it can actually be used for up to four units. Um, you know, a lot of the projects were missing middle projects, especially at that just one lot scale are actually just using conventional financing. And I would say in the past five years in particular, that has been more easily accessible. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was writing the barriers chapter in my book, I reached out to a a colleague of mine, Michael Lander, who's a developer, and he's he's a developer from Minneapolis, uh, now lives in San Francisco, but he started out with Missing Middle and has sort of expanded into small mixed use projects now. But I asked him, you know, can we have a discussion about, you know, financing barriers? And, and he's like, well, there's, he, in, in his mind, there were, he was just, just like really confirmed, but there's not really any barriers for financing this. <laughs> So I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's not what I heard in these other places. But I think even just over the course of the last two and a half to three years, it's really changed in a way that just based on where the lack of attainability and the need for housing in every community across the country that um, even banks who five years ago wouldn't have financed um, these kinds of projects are now more open-minded and more willing to to provide that financing for, um, for these projects. And, um, you know, I'm also seeing a lot of private equity, um, mm -hmm. larger equity groups that are mission driven that are looking for missing middle projects to, to invest in. So that's a really exciting sort of, um, evolution that I'm seeing as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, there's always, there's always an option, right? <laughs> we can always, always find ways around to, to you know in this work. the stories i heard last week at the small developers meetup in healdsburg was a lot of a lot of these developers their first projects they were like they asked their mom and dad for you know five thousand dollars or what you know it's like they just kind of patched together like enough money through friends and family to like make that first small project happen which mm -hmm. seems like a pretty common story and that's another reason to start small is like you can sort of you know uh you know learn your lessons um and on a small project and then build some equity and then move on to the next one um so right. it's a, another reason for for a, a smaller start strategy right friends and family yes. come in handy sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yes great great so uh you know we we touched on this a little bit at near the beginning you mentioned that there's there's certain places that have something that's not really tangible, but you know it's there. You know it, you have that feeling. Um, you can't describe it, and oftentimes it's that's kind of what I hear about the term placemaking. More of a uh, you know at a holistic level, what, like what it what it feels like, what it looks like. But I, I'm always interested to hear people's definition. Of placemaking. So I'd be curious to hear, you know, placemaking's kind of got this buzzword feel that that uh, came about fairly recently, and and uh, just be interested to hear your thoughts on on this subject. Yeah, 
it, I, I think you're right. It's, it, I mean, it means a lot of different people to different things to different people. And I think it, it means different things in different contexts as well. But I think just as I was thinking about this is like, just at a very general level is like a good place is the type of place where, you know, your neighbors, mm-hmm. right. You have a good connection with your neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, the neighbors are hosting block things like block parties, you know, often say that the neighbor, the neighborhoods with the higher percentage of missing middle are also probably the neighborhoods that have the best block parties. <laughs> um, you know, it's, but that's, it's, it's that social aspect. It's delivering mobility choices, mm-hmm. right? Getting, getting, getting people out of their cars or giving them a choice if they don't want to be in a car, walking, biking, um, grab the bus, jump on a train. Um, and then diversity is, is really important in my mind, I guess, both economic and, sort of racial diversity, you know, everyone in a, in a great place, everyone um, has the opportunity to be part of that community and, and feels welcome. And so like, it's, it's almost like a lot of that's intangible and it's not mm-hmm. actually designed, but um, like, those are the, in some ways it's the, it's the result. Um, but uh, I, I think that's just very generally, you know, what I think about when I think about placemaking is, is just that social aspect and, the equity piece and just making sure everybody's um, has the opportunity to be part and is, is, is feeling welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and you know, what you're saying the, to create that walkable community in a way reinforces the other, uh, other items that you discussed about, you know, social, yeah. Um, and racial diversity and, and social connection because you're getting out of the car uh you have more touch points you know it's it's a little more social than having to jump in your car and not talk to anybody and drive yeah, this yeah for the yeah. first for the first 10 years of opticos our offices were one long block from my house and so every day you know, several times a day, probably at the beginning, end of the day and lunchtime, I was walking my dog back and forth, you know, that block, long block to my office. And I was always running into people, running into my neighbors. And um, that's invaluable. Um, my neighborhood also has, you know, I would say about 20% of the lots have missing middle. And so what that enables is, you know, we we realized at some point a couple of years ago that our um, our daughter's first grade teacher lived in the triplex another in the second unit uh her daughter which was a third grade teacher at the same school lived and then the third unit was occupied by um uh like like the the daughter and son-in-law who was a PE teacher at the middle school down the street so it's like you know it's kind of those intangible things and and Mm -hmm. opportunities and options that that the the housing choice and the walkability um, delivers that's really important. How do you achieve that type of placemaking, that type of feel in your own designs and your own consulting and in, in what you do? Yeah, and I think that um, you know this also ties back to the, the the question you you included, which was like what's what's inherent in a missing middle project if it's done correctly or mm-hmm. or what's made it successful and i think in terms of of an approach um our missing middle projects are typically different than anything else on the market that's been newly constructed i think just mm-hmm. as a start and 
it's it's great for our clients because they don't have any competition. <laughs> um, sure. But it's also great for the people who are looking for that choice and it hasn't been delivered. Um, you know, in in the Prairie Queen neighborhood, there's been a, a flood of downsizing baby boomers who said we've been wanting to sell our big suburban house for seven years but we don't want to live in a garden apartment complex. Mm-hmm. We want to rent. We don't want to own anymore. We want to, we don't want to live in a garden apartment, but we also don't want to live downtown like in an urban condo or apartment building. And so when they, they found this missing middle neighborhood, like this is exactly what we, you know, this neighborhood scale is what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these, these projects are not driven by conventional market studies or what's been done in the past. Um, like, you know, when I was preparing for a ULI presentation recently, I was looking, just being more thoughtful about thinking about how to present our projects and realize that the majority of our projects are clients, none of them do a conventional residential market study. And most of them are simply relying on their own knowledge and expertise in the market. And they're still being very thoughtful, but they're not looking in the rearview mirror. And, right. and then from a design standpoint, it's, it's, you know, Outside of the individual lot scale, it's a mix of types, you know, uh, it's, you know, creating a sense of place, not just a project is, is, you know, back to the placemaking standpoint, because people are really longing for that. And I think COVID has only sort of made that even stronger, a focus on the public realm, you know, the streets, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the public, the parks, the plazas, the small public spaces, how the buildings activate them, just some really seems like basic stuff, but you would be surprised at how often it's missed. And then just a mix of price points is really important. We, we, you know, we, you know, we don't want to create places that are only attainable to a, a high level of the market. And unfortunately, some of our projects are so successful and they're such a, a rarity that they end up costing more for people to live in than we would like. But um, the more we can build, the the more we can be successful in achieving that attainability. And and I think we're always we're always delicately balancing and trying to prove that good design does not have to equate to expensive construction and delivery. And mm-hmm. our Muse Homes project, the Prairie Queen project. Or, or both really have proven that that's very possible um, for sure. Yeah. And you touched on all those items that we had talked about earlier about walkability and yeah. creating that, that sense of place and diversity and everything. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the other thing I'd like to mention is um, uh, there's a del- always a delicate balance between yield and feasibility and placemaking, right? We want to get as many units as we can for our clients to make sure that they can deliver the, the, the houses at good price points, but we don't want to compromise the placemaking, which a mm-hmm. lot of projects just, it's always just to exercise about how many units you can cram onto a site. And, um, you know, I, I think from a, I often like to remind architects that missing middle architecture is an architecture of restraint <laughs> um, like good missing middle buildings rarely have that kind of look at me mentality. It's usually like, let's just fit in and be part of the neighborhood. And so I think a lot of architects actually forget that and they want to do something that's flashy and like, looks like a spaceship that landed in a neighborhood. And I'm not saying that you can't do contemporary architecture. I love all type 
of design. It's just like, let's be restrained about it and, and let it fit into a neighborhood. And um, so that's another point I like to make. Yeah. And we could spend a whole nother episode on those yeah. two points. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so looking forward, what would you say, uh, or what would you like your, your legacy to be there at Opticus and Missing Middle as a whole? Uh, maybe you can break those out into two different. Just you know, Matt, Matt, before forward. we go there, can I, can I answer one other question that sure. I loved on your list, which what keeps me up at night <laughs> related to this? Um, okay. And then we can jump quickly. I know you need to go soon, but, oh, that's... Um, but like, I, I think the biggest fear I have is that both cities and states are getting the implementation wrong. Okay. And that really makes me anxious because if we get this wrong and really bad results get delivered that aren't achieving attainability, there's going to be a tremendous pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't, an, there's not an easy solution. There's not a one size fits all solution. And we just need to be more thoughtful about uh, this. And um, cities are waiting too long to a, a number two, they're just waiting too long to address this. And I don't understand cities and planners don't, aren't actually realizing how bad their zoning actually is. Like 99% of zoning codes that we've picked up in the last 10 years have been tremendous barriers. Very few of them enable this. Yeah. And then the, the last piece is just like, I, I don't know why, well, I do know why, but the, the, the glacier, the slow pace of change within the development industry to deliver more housing choice just it 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 baffles me both in terms of delivering choice more choices non-single family but also delivering walkable urbanism so the those sorts of things like i think we we need to start tackling as the 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 discussion about missing middle evolves and we're, we're really thinking about well how can we be effective at implementing it i'm just curious on this last point do you think that's because the data is lacking at the moment, or is it just because it's not, it's not, um, I guess, popular yet? Is it is it both, or what do you think? Is change change is hard, change, um, especially if you're a publicly traded company, right? And um, it's it's, I think most. Um, developers understand that they need to be changing, but the change is, it's just hard to make the change at a fast enough pace mm. uh, to, to really respond in a way that's um, needed. I mean, Chris Nelson's research that he did for the chapter in my book proved that 60% of all housing be- built between now and 2040 would need to be missing middle housing to meet the demand, <laughs> right? We're not, we're never, there's almost no way we're going to meet that. Yeah. That number, <laughs> but um, so the smart, you know, the the developers who are who are tackling this are doing really well, um, right? And and they're delivering that choice. But it's it's uh, in some ways it's not surprising, but it's really disappointing just the the pace of change um, and how slowly the change is happening. But um, you know, jumping then jumping back to your the question you asked about kind of what. I would love for um, sort of the Opticos missing middle legacy to be, um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, just, I want people to just really reflect upon the, the, the nature in which we, I guess, and I elevated the conversation about this need for housing choice and attainability and walkable urbanism and, 
and found a way to effectively communicate the need for this broader range of housing choices and, and kind of use this, this very easily and accessible concept of missing able to do that. And I, I also feel like I, I would love to be seen as a, a major force behind the, a push be, behind introducing a much needed new operating system for our zoning to really enable our zoning to deliver walkable urbanism by right. And, you know, and, and, you know, just as importantly, if not more importantly, that you can have an impact and be mission driven as a company, but still function as a for, for profit entity. Um, and uh, I, I, I like to, 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 reinforce that we do this without without a diva attitude as well. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that are sort of seeing the successes like we have, but they, you know, they had come with an attitude. And I, I I like to feel we're very approachable. And um, we love having conversations with community members, council members, decision makers, you know, the full range of people about this. And it's important to engage everybody. And so that that's what I'd really like to hope to see about kind of what people are saying about our efforts and my efforts in the, in the future. Well, you're well on your way. You, you've definitely made a, a, a dent in, in the uh, missing middle conversation. Uh, yeah. I mean, coin the term, right? So <laughs> that's, that was big to actually come up with a, a vocabulary around it that people can actually speak to. Yeah, you know, it, it made it, um, you know, for the longest time, even in our practice, we were talking about this range of housing types, but we, it wasn't, it wasn't tangible, or it wasn't easy to communicate the message. And what this did is, is it gave it a brand and an mm -hmm. identity. And when we created the diagram, it was something that anybody can point at and look at and go like, well, of course, we should be delivering this range of housing types. Why, why shouldn't we? It almost makes it so rational that you can't say no to it. So um, I think that was the real value. And, and like, I'm always surprised at any community charrette process or public engagement, like you show the image and you've no, no history of architecture planning, just, just a member of the neighborhood and they, they understand it. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because either they lived in one of these their kids do or have lived in one of these. They have a good friend that lives in one of these, my you know, grandmother that lived in one of these. Mm -hmm. So that personalization um, makes it really successful and, and effective. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, I want to thank you for all your time. I want to give you a little time here just to uh, let you tell us where we can find out more about what you're doing, your mission, your brand, Opticos, Missing yeah. Middle. Yeah. Where can yeah, we so there's, find out? There, there's, yeah, a couple of places. So company Opticos website is just opticosdesign.com. Uh, feel free to sign up for our newsletter. We do about a quarterly newsletter that's just updates of projects. Uh, missingmiddlehousing.com, which we launched in 2016 as the precursor to the book because uh, there was so much interest in this information and the research we had done to get it out. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, it's just Daniel Parolek, P-A-R-O-L-E-K on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to reach out and uh, less active on Twitter. I've sort of done less and less Twitter, but Daniel Parolek on Twitter as well. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out and connect and share your stories. And always like to hear what other people are 
up to on the missing middle front or form-based code front walkable urbanism as well. So I always love to connect with people. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for all your time again, Dan. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Matt.